Welcome everyone to episode one of bonus content for Patreon. I'm Ebony. I'll be your moderator today. With us, as always, we have KP. What's up, Davo? Hello. And Jonathan. Hello, everybody. Uh, today we're brought to you live from Tasty Beverage Company. Shout out to them for opening up early to letting us record. Live and on location. You are looking live. <laughs> looking live. <laughs> Thank you, Brent Musburger. <laughs> And we might be getting as drunk as Brent Busberger. <laughs> <laughs> <by the time. laughs> These Russia forts, hashtag kiss the 10. Kiss the 10. 11% beers at 11.30 a.m. Let's go, guys. And we also want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers for joining us today. We appreciate all of you. Uh, so just so you know how this episode is going to go, we're going to give you a brief history of ProRail in the USA. I'm sorry. If you didn't know, this first episode is going to be about ProRail in the USA. So we're going to give you a little brief history about ProRail, and then we're going to answer three, I think, three very important questions. Um, and then we're going to open it up for a little bit debate between the guys, um, and then we're going to sign off. That sound good to you guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Ready. Embrace debate. There Embrace we go. Embrace it. So now we throw to Dave so we can get a little bit of a history. Good morning, and I'd like to welcome all of you to my TED Talk on the origins and evolution of football. Morning, Teacher Dave. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> so we'll jump past all the Shrovetide stuff, and we'll just get right to um, early 19th century in England. Two types of football emerged in the various public schools. You had schools with large, wide-open fields. They played running and tackling games, most notably the rugby school. And then you had um, schools in cities that didn't really have open fields, they just had stone cloisters, and they played more kicking and dribbling games because you tackle someone in a stone cloister, some kid's brain might see the light of day. You really don't want that to happen. So as the 19th century progresses, the Industrial Revolution comes along, and we have trains, and now schools and graduates of schools who form their own football clubs can go travel from one city to another in order to play football against each other. One problem. Nobody played by the same rules. Club heads had to go days in advance, and, and school masters had to go days in advance to come up with the compromise rules that everyone could play by in that particular game. After a while, this got tired, and so in 1863 was the first meeting of the Football Association. And the goal was to formalize one set of rules for football across the country. Of course, the gentleman from Blackheath stormed out in a huff because, according to him, it was not real football unless you could kick someone in the shins. Oh, so whenever, okay, so whenever someone starts talking about real football, just remind them of the gentleman from Blackheath. Could he do it on a cold Tuesday night <laughs> at in Stoke? Stoke? Nope, kicking the shins is still illegal. And, of course, he didn't find any love at the Rugby Football Union eight years later. But the focus here is on the F.A., because the Football Association was created, they created the first national football competition, the Football Association Challenged Cup, also known as the, the FA, FA Cup. Cup. The magic of. The FA also welcomed hundreds of clubs from around England, and this was a model that they borrowed from the National Association of Baseball Players that was formed in the USA in 1857. This was originally an amateur organization, but professionalism grew very quickly in baseball. And as the NABBP attempted to establish a professional class 
a number of pros broke away and formed the National Association of Professional Baseball Players in 1871. And this National Association had lots of clubs. Multiple clubs in New York, multiple clubs in Philadelphia, multiple clubs in Baltimore and St. Louis. And after about four years, the National Association reached NASL, NASL levels of instability. Hashtag twice in a lifetime. <laughs> so a group of clubs from the association broke away and formed the National League of Baseball Clubs in 1876. This is important. The founders of the new league judged that in order to prosper, they must make baseball's highest level of competition a closed shop. There would be a strict limit on the number of teams, and each team would have exclusive rights to the city in which they played. The primary benefit for this was travel. This was 1876. This was 27 years before the Wright brothers' first flight in Kitty Hawk. It was 32 years before Henry Ford introduced the Model T. So if you wanted to get from one city to another, you had to take the train. And if you had four clubs in New York and one in Chicago, the travel expenses for the club in Chicago would be a whole lot more than the one in New York. Hence why we have the closed shop. And that model proved very successful in the late 19th century and started getting copied by other leagues, most notably the Western League, which became the American League in 1900. Junior circuit. And <laughs> Yes. And the senior and junior circuit are both still around today. Meanwhile, in England, while the FA Cup was wildly popular, by the 1880s, clubs struggled to get regular matches. There were just too many last-minute cancellations, and the bigger clubs were getting tired of having these unreliable revenue streams. Enter a man named William McGregor, the director of Aston Villa, who proposed the creation of a league to promote guaranteed fixtures among clubs in between FA Cup competitions. So the Football League formed in 1888, and it was organized within the Football Association rather than being separate from it. Now, the key facet of the Football League and the key difference between this and the National League in America, it was not a closed shop. To keep the league competitive, the bottom finishing clubs would have to win re-election to the league in order to stay in it. And I believe it was in 1890 that Stoke got voted out. Fitting. Yes. Yeah, it's so, good. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it, it's good. I'm for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm for that, too. <laughs> so, and there was no inherent advantage to giving clubs exclusive rights to a city, especially with so many founding clubs near each other in the Midlands and in the north of England. So the open election offered all the other clubs in England the opportunity to enter the league. Now, distance and population density also played a huge role in keeping the Football League open compared to the National League in America. Bournemouth to Newcastle is 350 miles by train. That is the entire length of England. Compare that from to Boston to Baltimore, that's 406 miles. And New York to St. Louis, 950 miles. Wow. And like Boston to Baltimore is like a day trip. Yeah, exactly. You know, trains were a lot slower back then, so you had travel days. You had to. So, meanwhile, in 1892, the Football Alliance formed, and they eventually merged with the Football League, 
and they became the second division because the football league was like, you want to play in the football league, you got to earn your way into it. So therefore, the alliance became the second division, and the bottom clubs in the second division had to win re-election, whereas the top clubs in the second division could be promoted to the first division. Originally, there was a playoff, but after Stoke and Burnley colluded in 1898 to uh, ensure their first division status in a late playoff match, automatic promotion and relegation was introduced in 1898. It's like the first disgrace of Gijon. Pretty much. <laughs> it was like the original Black Sox scandal in England. Good times. Good, Good times. times good times. So eventually more divisions were added in the 20th, 20th century and now you have the football pyramid in England and throughout most European countries as you see it today. Whereas in America, because the National League and the American League became so successful, every league became a closed shop. So there was no promotion and relegation in America. And that's where we are today. Beautiful. Beautiful. That was that was wonderful. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. <laughs> All right. So that leads us into our first question. Um, do you think ProRail will work in America? Well, their argument for it is that, one, travel across the country is generally easier than it was in 1876. Correct. You can yep. get from one city to another in a day. Yeah. No problem. Promotion and relegation, it forces clubs to be as competitive as possible to maintain their league status. This is how it's always worked in England. It's how it's always worked in Europe. A lot of people believe it should be the same here. So, And ProRail also forces clubs to develop players a lot more and a lot better than they currently do now. So the idea is that with promotion and relegation, you get a better player pool in this country, a more competitive player pool, which leads to a better national team and better showings in the World Cup. But, but you didn't really <laughs> you didn't answer the question. <laughs> you, didn't answer the question. You, you made the argument. <laughs> That's the argument. The question is, will it work right. in this country? Based on the current structure, we will probably never find out. <laughs> and that's part yeah. of the problem. Because right now, a lot of soccer in this country is controlled by Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing. And it was made clear many years ago. In fact, I remember an interview um, between uh, Stephen Cohen and Alexi Lalas. This was back when Lalas was basically working for MLS. Right. And Stephen Cohen asks him, why don't we have promotion and relegation in this country? And Lalas comes out and says, because we are a business, and for those who made an investment in that business, they want to make sure that their investment is as successful as possible. And dropping to a second division would probably hurt their investment quite a bit. And hence, we have the closed shop in MLS. So, building off of building off of that, because me and Chuck kind of talked about this earlier. Um, since he couldn't be here, I'll help make his argument for him. Um, Chuck says no. I also said no. Um, it was kind of just like, like you saying, like these these owners have spent 150 million dollars to get into the league, and then your team drops down. A la Chivas playing bad. You know, and 
then that $150 million was... For what? Exactly. Um, how do you how do you justify buying into a league with the, with knowing the possibility that you can drop down any year? Like DC, DC United, technically. DC United they're, they're, would be wolves. They would be relegated right now. Yeah. They, they'd be wolves. They'd be in League Two yeah. right now. So how do, how do you justify that? So one of his points was getting rid of MLS. Like even if you like restarted everything – took it all like threw it all away started with a new model to go to pro rel you still would struggle because people were so used to that closed shop like my team is my team i spent 150 million to get this team to here and now i gotta spend another 100 million on stadium players marketing all that stuff how do you compete like you you don't want to lose that type of money every year. Well, there's also just the fact that second division soccer has very little traction right. in this country. Correct. People care about the top flight. They're not going to go see... They'll, they'll go see minor league baseball because that's a different thing. It, yeah, it's very different. It's, it's not like... I, I, it, it is treated very differently. I mean, if you look at Durham Bulls, like, I mean, I love the Durham Bulls. I, I grew up on them. They, I, I almost could care less if we got major league because... They do such a good job with minor league in Durham. It's a good idea, but yeah, I mean it's different. You could have some smaller team teams if it's not top flight. They're like, well, why would I care if I'm not? We're not playing like the best stadiums, the best teams, all that kind of stuff. I want to say that. I want to say yes, honestly. If I'm really honest, I want to say yes, just because we're at a point where there are so many clubs in the United States right now. Like the USL is. Chuck, there's like 30 teams in the East and the West yep. or something like that. So it's like there's like 50 teams in the USL alone. Then you have like the 28 in MLS. You've got 78 different clubs. Like you could easily, you know, put in pro rel. But the same thing is like the same point that you all made because MLS was set up on a franchise model that all of these owners have bought in and that they don't want to lose the investment. The thing is that like it's it's set up for it to work. So I want to say yes, although I know in reality and in actual <laughs> practice the answer is probably no, but in my heart I'm saying yes because like we've been here for so long already. A lot of people want to see pro rel happen. And there's, like I said, there's so many different clubs. Like, you could easily put it into place. But the whole thing is that, like, if you were to do it, then MLS really needs to dissolve and reform with the same clubs in place. Like, you keep the players. But the. So, what do you do with that money that they've all paid to get into, like, all these suspension teams? They they are paying 100, 150 million. That's the 150 million is the fee this year. Right. It didn't all, and it wasn't always that high. Yeah, but now like Toronto TFC no, bought in for what five? Yeah, five. Yes. Right? Whereas Malik is gonna have to pay one hundred and fifty. One hundred fifty. One hundred fifty. I don't know. Just to make the bid. Do just some kind be, of dispersal. Yeah, like, yeah it's just if the your bid, bid money. Is, is if your bid is accepted, it's one hundred fifty million. Yeah. But that was when they put in the bid. So think about how like if you wanted to put in a bid this year for like years down the road. How much would that bid? How much would that be then? Like two hundred mil? Yeah, two fifty. Like that's e insane. Easy answer is do a dispersal, but that's you only easy because you can just pretend that money doesn't actually exist. <laughs> so, um. so between MLS, between USL, and then PDL was after that. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a and lot. Don't forget of... the NPSL as well. There are a few we could have decent a clubs there. A pretty big pyramid. I mean, England has what, like six divisions, six. and then it's amateur after that. I mean, we could do the same thing. Have four, five divisions, and then also include amateur level. But to go to to go to a, a pro rail system, you'd have to start from the bottom up, which means youth systems. Yes, and that whole pay for play and a team owning the rights to a kid like so so think let's say ncfc in a pro rail system george marks would be ours he would be our player because or our homegrown quote unquote if a club wanted him they have to pay us for him but now because he's college he's at clemson we don't really own his rights I guess, quote unquote. The college so, model is just bad for soccer yeah. in this country. And I mean, it works for other sports simply because other sports don't have to compete internationally. No. You know, you, ha- you can have college football be like practically the be all and end all before the NFL simply because there's nothing to compete with college football. And baseball, of course, has a long history of minor leagues. So yeah. college baseball is not, I mean, it's a thing because ESPN made it one. Yeah. Yeah. But are they going to make college soccer a thing too? No. I sincerely doubt no. it. I very much doubt it. So we, we'd have to break all of that up as well. Yeah. Like how do we, but again, that's a market for them, I guess, not, I mean, it's college soccer, so it doesn't really have a market, but now we lose on valuable money to help grow another George Marks in our developmental academy. Um, like NCF, the NCFC youth development team is like we have the the biggest path to pro clubs in like in America. Like, it, why can't we sign? Like, why can't those players be our players? But no, they have to go through the MLS draft first before like that's ridiculous yeah those are like we develop them those are in our academy those should be players that if we wanted to sell to someone else we could but they shouldn't we shouldn't have to jump through so many hoops to sign so many of our local talent and we're getting away we're getting away from the pro rail argument a little bit but it is a good argument to make that the idea of having homegrown players is going to be important to clubs in the long run, especially if you have a club that becomes a Southampton. Right. You know, here in America. You know, NCFC could become a Southampton here. I mean, we could come up with a Theo Walcott and sell him for five mil or come up with a Gareth Bale and sell him for eight. So, but because of the way the MLS draft is structured and the way the, the sort of college to pro system that got inherited from football and basketball is set up then you know we're limited in how much success we can have in developing and either selling players or bringing them into you know our side yeah so i, I think i think a good summary i think we all kind of share the same sentiment in that in our hearts i think it would be really cool it'd be but we understand that it would take literally shaking the entire foundation to happen and in a practical sense i don't think it would happen without a major shakeup to introduce pro and rel but that doesn't mean that a lot of people don't want it because certainly i mean that's why we're having this discussion is people are very passionate about it we see how it works around the world but 
it would require a lot of changes. Yeah, you don't get Leicester City coming out from championship and winning a a uh, Premier League title without Rel. Exactly. So, you know, and and we at NCFC, you know, we don't have any chance to win MLS. Right. You know, the only chance we even have to win, you know, CONCACAF comes from winning the U.S. Open Cup. Not likely. Mm. Possible. Not li- It's possible, but not likely. you got to go through the MLS And teams. then getting to the CONCACAF Champions League and beating a lot of Mexican sides. Yeah. You know, can, you know we, we were trailing against Toronto FC 2 last night. So, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> we we had to come from behind and win. Back, but still. <laughs> still counts. <laughs> yes. Three points. That's for a different podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. That's for the regular show. But getting getting back to this, I, the sad thing is, I think for ProRail to actually work in America, MLS would have to fail. And, and it's not going to happen. No. Nobody wants MLS to fail now, especially with the number of teams, the number of fans, the number of big money owners that are in here right now. So is there anything you could say to any of these owners that would convince them that ProRail is a good idea. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> no. I think it's really fun that we're having this discussion right now um, just because I, we're getting the World Cup in 2026 and MLS is only around because we had to have it to get the 94 World Cup. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> this is good. Okay, so I guess to go to our next question, um, if ProRail doesn't work here, What's the next best thing? Um, I don't know. So, my answer is still pro rel. Um, but I know that the idea has been bandied about about you know USL a USL pro rel system like a second division contained loop of pro rel like put in two divisions three divisions within USL and have ProRail there, let MLS be its own thing, just like basically how it is in England. The Premier League is its own entity. Then there's the Football League, which is its own thing, although they do go between each other, they do permeate, but they're two separate entities. That's basically the next best thing that I can think of, only because USL is absolutely flooded with teams there's yeah. so many teams that actually have like a really good season like we play charlotte three times and we play richmond twice or something like that or it's it's whatever i don't know it gets me a little bit upset when i think about it because there's so many teams and you only play half the league i'm like why don't you just separate it make it into one league or two leagues you can throw pro rel in there because it's it's we're at different stakes here at yep. the USL. It's not the same thing as I mean they are franchises per se, but it's not the same franchise buy-in model as it is to MLS. Like you have to like spend this money. It's like you have to spend the money to found a club. Yes, you do, but it's not yet to spend the money and then buy into the league. Although it might be, I may be incorrect. However, it's, you're spending the money to make the investment to make the club. Yep. And it's your job to make that club successful. So, with that being said, I really do feel like you can make a contained loop system with USL. Put in like a two-tier or three-tier um, in, pro-rel. Uh, PDL. Yeah. And NPSL. And NPSL. And then just have that as its own pyramid. I mean, yes. it'd be kind of like as if... We'll use the Premier League model. So imagine if the Premier League was MLS and it was by itself, nothing came in and out. But then Football League or and down 
is its own entity. Now they'll cross pollinate with the, the FA Cup. Right. So just like the Open Cup, we'll have cross pollination. But then everything else, USL, PDL, um, and whoever else gets added to the the pyramid, then you have a real sense of competition in clubs that didn't necessarily invest nearly as much as buying an MLS. I, I think you could create a little bit of interesting competition in the ranks. One of the things that I like about USL is that it is much more regional than MLS. And I think that's one of the things that we might have gotten wrong with soccer. We were so eager to, to create a national league in this country in order to get that 94 World Cup that we ended up creating a system that we can't get out of and that we can't convert. I would like to see like the lower leagues who could potentially do ProRail uh, potentially do a more regional system where you have like teams just in a specific region, kind of like um, the collegiate conference system. Yeah, I was just about to say, I was thinking like SEC. you got ACC, the SEC, you've got the Big East, you've got the ACC, you've got the Big Ten, you've got the Pac-12. Because they'll still compete with each other at the end of the season mm -hmm. uh, between them, but within the season, it is regional. I, th I think that'd be pretty cool. Just imagine like East Coast, Midwest, Southwest. Is that not what we Northeast. do already with... Eastern Western Conference? We yeah. do have an Eastern and Western Conference. But however, he's talking like if we took the Eastern Conference and cut it in half and just had like we, Southeast and Northeast. We would never play Red Bulls 2 or Toronto. I mean, I'm cool not yeah, playing two I'm, games. I'm cool with teams, that. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm cool to never well, see RB2 or so here's TFC another 2 again. And let's keep one thing in mind. Um, in Spain, there are B teams that play in the lower divisions. They can't get promoted. Yeah. Right. So if you can have a situation where, you know, the B teams, the two teams the two for teams. MLS could play in that third division and never come up to the second division. And it's like the best teams in the third division could still, the best independent teams could still come up. Yeah. But the the B teams, the two teams would stick where they are. And it, it wouldn't, they wouldn't suffer from it necessarily because, yes, they couldn't go up to a higher league, but it's still game time. Because the point of them, as, as I understand it, is development. So right. if you have someone at Timbers 2, at Red Bulls 2, they're not going to go up to USL, go up to MLS, until unless they're called up by the main team. But they'll still get game time. They'll still get competitive edge going against teams that are trying to go up and down. If you're going to talk about player development, I say we just get rid of the MLS draft. Yes. Yep. Keep player, you know, make players who are homegrown players from club academies be their players, like you were describing, Anthony. Yeah. I, and I agree. Create a system where the players that come up through an academy belong to that club, and if they want to go to college, that's fine, but they still belong to the club. Which is kind of what um, it's kind of something that uh, we were touching on, or um, like, do you make their developmental academy another league, quote unquote. So, so like U twenty threes, U nineteens, that kind of thing. Right, like they do in England. Yeah, I mean, I I see. I mean, you see the benefit from it in England. I think we we could benefit from that too. Your 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 developmental players, your academy players, you know, they're not sitting in limbo just because they're 
training in an age when they're not old enough to play in pro and they're not young anymore. But you would you but, still have a league. But with that no MLS draft and that whole uh, like that, that system kind of dissolved, and you own those players' rights. That goes away because now they are old enough to get paid and to play for the club. So you're kind of saying like, you work for me at 17. I'm pay. I'm going to pay you to play, to to have like a living wage here, so you don't have to go to college like you yeah. were talking about. And I think that'd be now, now you play in a league every week. You're going to get training every day, you know, those types of things. I think if the clubs are going to do that, then they do have to make uh, scholarships available, right. academic scholarships available for the players who want to take advantage of that. Because not everyone who goes through, you know, the academy systems are going to want to just play soccer and do nothing else. Right. So it's the clubs will probably have to offer you know, some sort of educational thing, especially because, you know, the parents wouldn't want anything else for their kids. Right. You know, everyone who plays college football does it largely for the education, even though we know it's a sham in the NCAA, (laughs) you know, but they still do it because they gives them the opportunity to go to school and get that degree. Um, so my question, um, I guess to build off of that, um, if you were to build a pyramid within the lower divisions, where does it plateau? Because you have, like with NCFC, we have a great partnership with Town of Cary, 10,000 seat stadium that we helped, uh, you know, expand on. But where does that come in for some teams where they can't exactly afford to rebuild a stadium like where or they don't have their own stadium. or they don't have their own stadium and i bring up detroit detroit is a very they're they're very good uh but their stadium only seats seven thousand. like if they were to continue to move up quote unquote that pyramid ladder how do they expand that with little money because that gets that becomes a problem. So say we do open up Pro Rail in the United States and they can move up to Division One. Well now they're Division One in a seven thousand seat stadium. How does that work? Like where does the good outweigh the bad at that point in terms I, of money? I think at some point, like probably at this point, you probably allow for some provisions for that and just say, you know uh, just allow a team to to compete in a stadium that small, like you probably set like a minimum, you know, like five thousand or six thousand or something like that. Because meanwhile, like you're talking about that with the Premier League, like the Premier League has a flat ten thousand seat stadium minimum. Right. So like when Bournemouth came up, they had to expand their stands just so that they could play in the Premier League. And just realizing that, like here in the United States, like those clubs aren't going to be making the same amount of money just because sponsorships and tv deals and everything else it's not the same and we all know that so you probably just say you know what i'll allow you to to you know compete at 5000 seat stadium or something like that set it set it small so that way you know teams can come in and then like put in like a good faith something in there like in three years if you're still here like you're gonna have to expand 
or something like that. But I guess in theory, if you were to make it top flight, and I, I know the sponsorships and TV deals aren't that good, but let's say in theory you were to stay up for three years yeah. in the top division, hopefully doing that will have helped you in some way so that if you did need to expand, you could meet that minimum requirement. And hopefully if you're up for three years, you're going to need to expand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's like, all right, we're going to North Forth. I think we need that 5,000-person stadium now. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of ProRail, there's been talks about NWSL being absorbed by USL. Do you think... If we were to do like a lower level uh, pyramid, we could do the same thing with women's soccer too, with like NWSL. In uh, I believe they have a couple lower divisions as w as mm -hmm. well, like developmental academies. They have a lot of teams have developmental academies as well. Do you see it working for them as well? I think it might actually be more likely to work for women's soccer than for men's, simply because women's soccer at this point, isn't as developed as uh, the men's leagues are. The NWSL, you know, is the, I think, the third attempt at a league in uh, in this country in yeah, the last 20 right. years. Sounds about right. Because I think there was the WUSA before that and the WPS, and neither of those leagues lasted very long. So, you know. I think they all have a running of three years before shutdown. And the fact that the NWSL has now survived, this is its fifth? Sixth. Sixth season. So there you go. So I, it's still possible at this point for USL because the clubs aren't as big. And there's not as much um, financial... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's not as much uh, money that's financing them at the moment. So the owners of those clubs might be more likely to institute a pro-rail system uh, for women's soccer. And there are much smaller women's soccer clubs out there. I mean, the Women's Professional Soccer League, the WPSL, has, what, 40, 50 clubs at this point? It's that big. Yeah, that's, it's, that's a very, it's very large. So you have a lot of much smaller clubs in there. And allowing them the opportunity to grow, allowing them the opportunity to play their way into the NWSL, I think, would be uh, a great thing for women's soccer. And, you know, we win World Cups in this country. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, we <laughs> do. Women win World Cups in this country. So it's calm. It's calm. <laughs> yes. So that's... All we do is win. <laughs> so that's something that could even improve our chances of developing players that we need to remain competitive yeah. in those World Cups. Because the rest of the world's catching up to us pretty quickly. Yes, they are. And also, you're talking about just pro rail. A league with more than eight teams would be fun. Yes. <laughs> that would be very fun. Also, I'm sure other NWSL teams and fans would agree. Also, if we do go to, you know, pro rail, does that mean Shield winners win the league? Please. <laughs> <laughs> would, <Yes>. be nice. <laughs> would be nice. Would be nice. That'd make life so much easier for me. I wouldn't have to go to Portland. <laughs> Not play Portland. Yeah. Portland. That'd be lovely. <laughs> yes, it would. Yes, it would. I mean, the last time we went to Portland, different podcast, guys, different podcasts. I'm sorry. No, I mean, you could still have playoffs. But uh, why? So you, well, no, it would be more like um, more like the U.S. Open Cup 
or FA Cup where it's like, all right, everyone's competing. But I don't know. It guess depends on how many teams you have and how many levels to the pyramid. If you've only got two, it doesn't make sense. But if you've got three plus, maybe. I don't know. I can see but if you're doing developmental academies as a league itself, then yeah, I don't see why but, not. But I do agree that, you know, if you win the regular season in the top flight, you win the league. Right. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not something you see here simply because we're playoffs. so used to playoffs. Yes. Because when's, money. When's yes. the last time, it, uh, I guess, did Toronto win the Shield last year? I don't no. think they did. No. So, no. New York. They won. The, yeah, when's the last time a Shield winner actually won the MLS Cup? We were close. We won the Shield, and we won U.S. Open Cup. I'm sorry. I'm a Sounders fan. Yes, so we won right. the Shield, and we won Open Cup. And we were on our way to the treble, and we lost in the second round. Yeah, that's that's what happens. Says Red Bull won the Shield, did nothing. No, they did nothing in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> Dallas came close. Dallas did yeah. come close. Um, Toronto did win the Shield in 2017. Okay, okay. So there is that. So, but that's I think they're they're the, the outlier. They're the outlier. They're the outlier. Yeah, different podcast. Different podcast. Um. And our final question, I guess, before we open it up for a little bit of debate of how we can, if you, like, I guess, what needs to change with the structure of U.S. soccer, of soccer in America to make any type of pro rail work, whether we're talking lower leagues or talking, including, ML, including MLS? I mean, easy answer is blow it up. Huh? So the easy answer is just to blow it up. Blow, blow it up. up. Okay. <laughs> That's the easy answer. Um, that's the answer that you give when you have nothing else to say. Um, but really, I mean, I, I think it's basically like what I said earlier. Just if you want to make pro role happen, like you have to dissolve and immediately reform Major League Soccer from right. the top flight. That's the only way that you really get things started. Like, you Do you have give their money back? Like I said, like... Like, it's easy to say dispersal just because, like, when you get to the major leagues, like, all of the pro teams, like, money doesn't actually exist. Right. It really doesn't. It's a number. <laughs> it's a number. Um, But, yeah, I mean, because the, the main thing right now is just player contracting does not work for no, a pro role system. It sucks because you the ML, MLS owns that player. Like, you own that player through MLS, basically. Like, why can't I own my own player? Like, for example, um, there's talks about um, Miguel Amiron being on the move. And right. if he goes, um, Atlanta gets... Sees none of that. Well, they, they get money. But they, they get, like, in total 20 mil out of the 24 possible, because MLS takes 30% of it. Right. And what happens is the team recoups the money that they spent because he's a designated player, which is... That makes no sense. David Beckham rule. Yeah. Um, so he's <laughs> Don't a, at me. Right. He's a designated player. So that means that Atlanta will get back the money that they spent on him, so the transfer fee plus the wages. And then they get like whatever is left after MLS takes 30% of that. So like you, they you have to change player contracting. You have to let teams just shell out the money and let them do their own contracting and go from there. You're Other saying get rid of the um, salary cap. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you you have to if you're gonna like make pro with the Alonzo work. with Alonzo Davies. Like Vancouver gets all that money back. Right. Nothing goes to MLS. Right. Because he was homegrown. Right. So that's. 
how much was he going for? Eight million? It's like no, it's like fifteen mil. Oh, it's it's gone up. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it's like fifteen mil that uh is Bayern, right? That's after him, right? Bayern, yeah. Yeah, so Bayern's after Alfonso Davies, which is super cool. But um yeah, just uh, you have to change the player contracting because the way it's set right now is that like if we were talking about you no know, like pro rel, like if, as way as the way that things are set right now, if you were to go from USL up to MLS, like you would have to completely refigure your entire just because the uh, your entire roster just because the rules are different and it doesn't make any sense. So that's that's basically the main thing that I feel like needs to change. If you're going to do pro rel, you have to dissolve that. That way, it gives other teams a better opportunity to go out and get some of those higher caliber talent. Because right now, you know, those MLS teams, you know, it's got, you know, the DP rule and spend all this money and say, hey, well, I have this amount of money just because this is what we have to offer as a club. And you have somebody else, you can say the same thing. So that's those are the two things I feel like needs to happen if you were to start to build uh, pro rail here. And the problem with that within MLS is the fact that the teams themselves, the clubs themselves within there are so wildly different in terms of you know what they can earn from uh, game day income and you know what they can earn from sponsorship opportunities so you would end up having a situation where there would only be four or five teams that could truly compete for you know the 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 MLS Cup every single year you it would be Atlanta and Seattle and city city yeah absolutely so it I understand getting rid of the salary cap because I can't think of another league, you know, especially not in Europe, that has one. They simply, you know, spend what they can, yeah. you know, in order to get the players that they can. And that would be a great system to have here. I Definitely. don't know if it's going to be feasible within MLS. And that's just the structure that we've created for ourselves, unfortunately. But if we, so like you said, if we blow it all up, restart, do you give... I guess my question is still is, do you give back that money so that they can use that to go towards, like, player development, signing bigger names, better marketing for the area, better stadium building, all that kind of stuff? Good luck giving U.S. soccer and United, and soccer United marketing, good luck getting all of them to give the money back. <laughs> I... I, I you know, Chuck Blazer's probably spent half of it already, so <laughs> I don't think it's Facts. I don't think it's coming back to anyone else. You know, it's in not the league, home. it's not. No, it's not coming home. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so there are there are still lots of things you can do within the existing system. You know, certainly the big one being allowing clubs to you know keep the rights to players and allowing them to sell players on their own i think if mls offered you know that much more freedom in terms of player movement we would see some differences in terms of we would definitely see some academies grow and we would see some differences in terms of you know how players can move around and compete and you know shift from from america to other countries if there's enough interest in them. You know, that's hard to do right now in the current MLS system. So it's hard to do a lot in the current MLS system, honestly. Yeah. Make money. Just hit the restart button. I mean blow do it, it down. Burn it down. I mean Burn honestly, it down. honestly if you're going to look at MLS right now, 
it, it's probably due, if not for a hard reset, but at least for a soft one, because there are some clubs that are in there right now that are floundering. I mean, yes. you have one club battling its owner right now just to keep its club in in Columbus. Like, you got one club that's Save fighting with um, with two of three, two out of three of their supporters groups just to get ticket deals. Mm-hmm. Like... Houston's struggling right now to get fans in the stadium, and they're in a very good market, I think. And you have you have one club that is also feuding with another supporters group, and its own fans have been after its owner for the last four years. Right. Which, which <laughs> club is that? Chicago. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, D.C.'s always in their own way. Orlando's yep. in its own way right now. Right. And they just came into the league, what, three years ago? Yeah. Atlanta is starting to have years. problems yeah, with, their, with their their supporters. Problems. No, they are they're already having they already problems. Do. Yeah, they're already having problems with like corporate supporters and actual supporters. Um, Toronto's struggling right now apparently with their supporters they groups. All their they've, all they've, they've, they've stopped, stopped and, and they're right. the defending champions. Right. Yep. But they can't get people out the games right now, and now you have team. Now you have Ottawa player, Ottawa, not Ottawa the players. Um, now you have fans destroying stadiums, like other people's stadiums. Like this is like MLS is having to take a hard look at itself right now because everyone wants to be an ultra. But nobody wants to be an ultra. (laughs) 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 Everyone wants to star in green street hooligans, but no one wants to get punched in the face. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I, I mentioned a lot when people talk about, you know, the men's team winning the chances of winning the World Cup, and right before the the it was either one or two World Cups before um, Germany won theirs, they had a hard. Hard stop, and then they went through, and there's a whole book on it called Das Reboot. It's very good. And they basically, I mean, they didn't change up the Bundesliga like we would be changing MLS. I mean, Bundesliga has been around for a while, but they right. did take a hard look at top to bottom, bottom to top of, like, how how we're going to develop players in this league, how we're going to get this league to be more competitive, not only within itself, but abroad. And all the hard work they put into their league translated very well to how well they did on the international stage. And I think that's another reason why people are so passionate about ProRail is because we want to see the men win a World Cup too. I mean, I absolutely want us to do that. But with our current system, we it's just never going to happen. Well, you saw what France did. They had a, they had a hard reboot too. Yep. Developed their young guys. And now Mbappe is a World, a World Cup, Cup winner. He's got two yeah. stars. He's got two stars. There you go. It does it twice. Oh my God! I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, I think another thing that was, I think we touched on a little bit, the pay-to-play mm. aspect of it. We got to get rid of pay-to-play. Right. It's it's such a big well because think about how many top players in the world were from some poor village in the middle of fucking nowhere in their country, uh. and. Or think, of, I mean, Ronaldo, we'll use this as an example. He was off some small island in Portugal. He wasn't in Lisbon. Right. He was in some small island nation, island part of Portugal. Then he left to take a chance to go play it for sporting. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. I mean, like, think about it. You know, you, there's there's a lot of kids in urban areas. Lukaku? Yeah, Lukaku. 
Messi, yeah. Neymar, like a lot of these players came from extremely humble beginnings, more humble than a lot of our U.S. players even, um, you know, living in true poverty and now they're multimillionaires. I mean, part of that is skill as well, but they were fortunate to have the ability to just get into these academies and build up and get to where they are. And right now it's like you pay out the ass for your kid to go play soccer, but then as soon as middle school hits or high school, there's there, it just goes away. Yeah. It goes how, to football. Right. It goes how, to football. How open is a tryout if it costs like you know one hundred and fifty dollars? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to bring your own ball mm-hmm. and shin guards and cleats. Yep. Right. The investment alone just to get your kid ready for a tryout is insane. And then once they make the team, you got to think about travel costs. Whether they have to have money to go do stuff in that city that they're in for a weekend to play four games in three days. And soccer's not even the most expensive. I mean, like the cross is insane, and they don't even God, yes. like once once you get out of college, that's you're literally done at that yeah. point. I mean, there is professional, but it's not like professional football, professional soccer. Like there is, you're sinking all this money just for your kid to play a college sport. I think this is one of the reasons that it's important to allow clubs to retain some sort of contract rights over right. the players that they develop because if they know that they can sell those players to other clubs and make money from them, they might actually be more inclined to get rid of pay for play and, and develop those players and actually and develop those players and provide them with the equipment they actually need. Right. It's a win for everybody to to become better players. It needs more accessibility. Soccer needs more accessibility in the United States. There needs to be more homegrown fields just popping up across the U.S. You throw a ball down on the field and 20 kids run up and ready to play a game. Like, I, that needs to be something that happens. That There needs to be more community outreach for these, play, for these kids. Like, I need more, more, I don't know how to say it. Like, And that becomes difficult because then there's going to be people saying well what about baseball why aren't we you know we're, we're we we want to have those fields instead you know you're going to have that because you have a clear you know path you have that professional s- baseball yeah well, that, that you too. Not have a clear path like it's so much cheaper soccer. it's so much cheaper for me to go grab a ball four cones or i guess six cones say this is a goal these are the boundaries here's a ball go honestly Really, honestly, <laughs> that's true. But although you know, you could, you in a way you could simplify it for kids with a lot of sports. I mean, you just need like four cone, six cones for football, a few for baseball to just indicate where bases are. But even even that, I mean, it's it is an easier setup. But again, like once kids get out of the elementary school, middle school, it's like pff, it's gone. Right. Like and the, the interest is gone. So and there's always going to be that attitude that soccer isn't our sport. Yes. Right. You know, baseball is our sport. It definitely you know, is. Football, or American football, is our sport. Basketball is our sport. You know, baseball and basketball were created here. Whereas football, a lot of people still look at it as a, Euro a, sport. a European sport, a South American sport. They look at it as foreign, and they would rather identify as American. And like one of the nice things about soccer is that, you know, like it's often romanticized as it being the sport for the common people. Right. Yes, very much so. But of course here in the United States it's not. 
that. Like, you have to sink in so much money because, like, we are, we already covered everything. But I mean, that's just like you were talking about, like, to play soccer, like, literally all you need is a soccer ball. And even then, like, in a lot of like, you know, you you look at, you know, third world countries, they don't even have a soccer ball. Like, you tie together whatever you can and make it round. You kick it around. <laughs> and you kick it around. And that's really all that you need to start. So. Like, soccer is a game that's easily embraceable by so many people. Like, right. if you can kick and if you're coordinated enough, you can go after it. But at the same time, like, it's just, like, just here in America, like, for any sport, really, it's hard to break into just because it costs so much. Like, where I stay, I stay in Garner. Um, and there was, like, a little international market up by Tryon Road. And there used to be a soccer field there. Like, they had a couple of goals there, but then they just went away. There used to be so many kids playing on that field any time I ever drove by it. And now it's not there anymore. So they're just kind of, like, all just standing around not doing anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a similar thing. Like, there's um, not too far from where I used to live in Raleigh. I'm going towards Capitol Boulevard there right now there's a sheets there and some apartments but there used to be this mass I remember when I moved back to Raleigh I was shocked to not see that soccer field anymore it was just this big open grass I played so many castle games yeah. in that one field and now it's 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 a sheet <laughs> <laughs> like that's like it's still like the field is still empty there's no soccer goals there anymore um but why can't I go there on a Saturday morning and take a soccer ball and go, hey, you guys want to play? And just ball out well, with a bunch of eight-year-olds. Thinking about this, so I'm, I think all of us have seen it, but some, some of our viewers might not. Like in Atlanta, there's those um, the setup ones in the city. Yeah, but there's like a huge locked. problem. They're locked. They're locked. So if there's not events, Whoa. you have to basically break in. Because I remember like the whole. Big there was campaign a, with exactly. that. Exactly. Really it cool. was like Copa 90 and everything. Yeah, but they're, like, they're locked. They're locked. That's terrible. So I someone from, I think it was either someone from Copa 90 or something else, no. went to go see one. Went to go play with his kids. He, he lives in locked. Atlanta. He went to go play with his kids because they're like, well, we're downtown. Right. You already have your soccer gear. Let's go. You missed the point. You, <laughs> they, they, you missed the point. They put them at the, at the murder station. Yeah, yeah they're right underneath the train. Yeah. And that's yes. where they're, that's where whole that all that Atlanta United corporate fans thing is coming from. Like a lot of people are like, what's the, who's the true fan there and who's the corporate one? Like, is half of your half of your supporter section implanted with corporate people? That's annoying because that now I'm thinking about like know, how do you build the game off of that? How right. do you how do you build leagues where half of your supporter section is paid? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, and now I'm annoyed because now I'm thinking about at City Plaza it used to be that little turf area. Yeah. And now they're building a bu they're building something there, so yeah. it's not there. I'm like, this is the worst. And it yeah, it just creates even more problems for youth soccer because it prevents kids from getting interested in right. the game. And it and even if they do get interested in the game, you know, if something like that does come around that gets them interested they still have to throw down all this money in order to actually start playing organized uh, soccer. I, so I guess my next question for you guys is, what do we as not just fans of a particular team, but as fans of the game have to do to help grow soccer in America? 
I mean, this is what I've talked about on the podcast, um, the usual podcast before. It's just like, I talk about soccer all the time. And it's funny because, like, one of my coworkers distinctly does not care. <laughs> and um, <laughs> my boss, like, will listen to me when I talk. But it's like, they don't, like, it's not really for them. But the thing is that you, you just have to take the passion with you wherever you go. That's basically it. Just take it with you. Yeah, when I take off time at work, they're like, when I take off time at work, they're just kind of like, oh, it's a soccer game or you're on a vacation. <laughs> I'm like, it's both. It's both. Because <laughs> whenever I'm at a soccer game, I'm on vacation. Like, when the World Cup came around, I never had so many people talking about that game, like, talking about the World Cup at my job than I did during that. And I was like, I never want to hear any of you complain about me talking about this game, the game I love again. Because... <laughs> Clearly, it, it's done enough to get you interested in for four weeks. So, hey, you need a ticket for the next game? I got you. But it's always that little step of how how do I draw you in? And that's what the World Cup did. It draws people in. But now how do we how do we as fans make it accessible for those people after the World Cup? Like, that's how you build it. And that's you, how you get it to grow. You keep the conversation. Because the World Cup is, is the conversation starter. But then you go from there. You're like, hey, we've got local team. Or let's say you're in an area that doesn't have any teams at all. Even then you could say, hey, I, you know, I'm sure there might be some nearby city that has their own development league or like a, like a castle or they have a professional team, maybe not. It, who knows? Like the, you, Castle is dead. Yeah, Castle's dead. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the cities will Living definitely have the cities will definitely have professional teams at one level or another. And that's maybe where it starts. But I, I know we need access for everybody. So I think keeping the conversation going is is the most important thing. So um, at NBC Soccer, put all the games back on TV. Yes. Please. Yes. Get please. rid of your whatever that in gold. NBC gold. gold crap that was the worst thing i've ever done in my life yeah i'll never buy another subscription to that because i was just thinking about you know like to keep the conversation going like hey you watched all these guys play in the world cup you want to keep watching them hey the premier league is about to start and then it's like oh yeah you can only watch like three games or four games per weekend so there's that but at the same time you can say hey you want to keep watching you have premier league you have bundesliga um you have Liga Emekis that also comes on. And then you say, ESPN hey. ESPN Plus, five bucks a month. Exactly. And then you say, hey, well, if you have a team near you, why don't you go? Because everybody wants to say, soccer's boring. I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. That's fine. I don't know okay, about cool. you, but I have a party in the South Stand every oh, weekend. Exactly. exactly. It's boring for me. Yeah. Right. You so don't have to participate. You can literally sit behind the action and enjoy it that much more yeah. and the thing is that when you start to when you watch then you start to notice things like you know like during the world cup i was having fun like france when they got out in front there was a thing that would happen and was that mbappe would just stop caring and would just go out there and just throw back heel flicks and roulettes everywhere i'm <laughs> like hey watch this guy he's gonna throw out no look passes like nobody's business like steve nash out here so just <laughs> go out here and just watch it it's like when you actually when you can get people to start paying attention and like start looking for the small things in there and say oh yeah look at this like there goes Dabinia throwing out another sombrero over a defender or spinning and there goes austin to lose spinning away from you know whatever midfielders oncoming it's just say like 
just watch the thing because like everybody calls soccer the beautiful sport. They call it that for a reason because soccer. There's soccer and then there's basketball and hockey. Those three sports are the most creative sports that you can watch. Rugby is up there as well. But, I mean, rugby is more stilted just among the way that you can actually do things with yeah. the rules. But That with, might be another episode where we have a debate because I don't see the creativity in rugby. Yeah, I don't see as it. As I do in soccer and basketball. I've been watching a lot of rugby. I can go there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I do agree with the hockey. It's just at a fat. It's literally, if you take soccer, put skates. it in a smaller rink and <laughs> right. speed it up. And then, like, you just you watch people, like, individual skill. Like, um, yes. we're recording this podcast, what, July 22nd. Last night, we watched um, T- um, NCFC beat TFC2. Um, T. Shippolani came back in. Throwing out stepovers, nutmeg to defender. The human highlight reel. Went on a yep. went on a forty-five yard solo run down the field and pinned one to the lower corner that got saved by the goalkeeper. Like this, the fun things to watch. It's all about the little things because people think, oh well, it's low score, like nothing happens. I'm like, what are you watching for? Are you just are you only watching for the goals? Because there's certainly a lot more. Like I use so my outside of soccer, my other passion. Um, is jujitsu, and a lot of people. Uh, I'll go to watch UFC fights at Buffalo Wild Wings, and every single time I will hear somebody say that wouldn't work on me. I'm like, here, let me show you six different ways <laughs> that I can armbar you standing up. Like it's like, yes, one goal, a one nil victory may seem boring to you, but I wasn't watching the striker. I was watching how the defenders, the midfielders, the creativity, the threats, the chance. Like, you know, I just picked my. Premier League fantasy team yesterday and like part of how I determine on players that I'm not very aware of I look at things like threat their uh, creativity like it's not just okay how many scores did you go or how many clean sheets did you have like there's there's so much level of complication that's just it's it's a it's a work it's moving art it really is and it's very much like a faster paced chess too when both sides are moving at the same time and jiu-jitsu the same way it's it's literally human chess Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of subtleties and if you make one mistake here you move to the next thing from from that option and i mean that's true with any sport but i think soccer really truly illustrates how when you put 22 people on a field together how everything moves around like a fine-tuned engine brian phillips from who wrote for the run of play that was his original blog uh he wrote for grantland and mtv and now has a book out uh very good writer i think he put it best when he said beauty of soccer and the beauty of basketball beauty of basketball is that you take a task that's so difficult that even a trained adult can only do it 50 to 60 percent of the time and in one game, you can see that task being performed in the most graceful, most acrobatic, most impossible ways you could imagine. Whereas with soccer, you take a very simple task, kicking a ball into a net, so simple a four-year-old could do it, and you make it so difficult that seeing it happen once in a game is cause for the wildest celebration. Oh, absolutely. I love yeah. that. Now, like, with, with soccer, like, you can definitely get matches where you want your money back. And most, yeah. the most, uh, the biggest one I can always think of was when Moo first showed up to Chelsea and the first Chelsea United match that season. And it was just absolutely terrible because no, neither team wanted to attack. 
Everybody just laid off, and it was a zero. It was a nil-nil draw, oh, and God. nothing happened. Like I literally described it as a match where nothing happened in two parts, and everybody's like, "Well, isn't that just a regular soccer game?" Like, no, get off of my post, go somewhere <laughs> else. Get off my, don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> don't at me with that. Go somewhere else. But just funny because I remember. Uh, I think it was in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Premier League game of the season, Manchester United. Uh, versus Reading in Old Trafford. It was also a nil-nil draw, but it was one of those nil-nil draws that ended up becoming one of the most compelling things you've ever seen in your life, simply because Reading was this small club. They, you know, People figured they didn't have a chance against Manchester United, but they played such amazing defense that they were able to repel attack after attack after attack after attack. And it was just stunning to watch. And it was a nil-nil draw. You know, compared to the nil-nil draw you just described, it was a completely different game. And that's one of the beauties of soccer. And I feel like if we're going to wrap this back around to the whole Pro-Rail thing, that doesn't happen. If you don't have Pro-Rail, you don't have small club writing come around. Because right, um, right now within um, MLS, you have... Big club, big club. Like, they're all big clubs. They're right. all supposed to be successful. They're all technically big clubs. Yeah, they're all supposed to be successful. So, like, if DC United goes out and wins a match, it's because, okay, well, they were supposed to do that. Meanwhile, if they lose, it's like, okay, well, why aren't you winning? But then you can get, you know, like, small club come up. Like, you know, if we go up and we go up against, you know, Toronto, like, big Toronto. Real Toronto. Real Toronto. <laughs> and pull off, you know, like... If we score a goal and we lose like three one, it's like cool. Hey, we scored, we scored against a goal. yeah, we scored against you know the best club in the league. Um, it's just like it'd be so much fun to have that thing. Like the whole the whole pro rail argument is literally just it would be fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be great. <laughs> it would be fans. so much fun. It would be great for all fans except the fans of the clubs that got relegated. Of course, <laughs> yeah, but course. it would still be fun for them because it would have. They would have a reason to watch week after week after week. You know, what's the reason to watch DC United right now? They're in what? They're in last place right they now. Are, right? They are. Yes. What is the reason to watch That's them? So right Metro. Now? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> they have a new stadium. They have a new stadium. That's uh, sort of. <laughs> it doesn't even really look good on TV. No. And there is that. I mean. Ouch. <laughs> I mean, t- so Minnesota went up, quote-unquote. Um, well, see, Minnesota's a good example just because they kept most of their roster with them. True. Yeah, so it was almost like a promotion. Also, it was kind of interesting to watch a lot of teams go play them in blizzards. Yes. Oh, God, yes. That was actually very interesting. I and mean, all the Atlanta, United, United fans were like, whatever, three. we're used to this already. <laughs> and it's and it's still going to happen because they still have an outdoor stadium. I love it. Hey, yeah. Oh. Like, does the roof close? No, no, it's open air. It's a regular open air stadium. It's got it's got canopies, but it's open air. It's like um, turn like, down for what? <laughs> yeah, it's like Children's Mercy Park. What the fuck? It's 2018. We have the technology. <laughs> I mean, Target Field is outdoors, so yeah. why not? Hey man, I the mean, football teams can play out in snow. Why can't we? Hey, there you, you know what, Ebony? Orange Bowl. <laughs> Orange Bowl. That's what it's for. <laughs> I mean, we had to, we had to break out the orange ball before, so it's okay, I guess. It's what it's for. It's what it's for. I'll go. I'll go for it. Sure. So, in conclusion, 
ProRail would be a great thing for the fans. <laughs> but not it would for be the a, a, a great thing for player development and the in this country team. and for the national team. But the way American sports were created centuries ago and the way that MLS is structured now just doesn't seem very likely to happen. Can my generation be the generation that changes all that? I mean, anything's possible. I mean, I guess. Anything's, yeah. possible. anything's like possible. We would have to, I, th- I think maybe one thing that could be a catalyst is how we do in the World Cup that we're hosting. That's a long, that's a long way to know, away. That's eight years away. How do we develop the game in eight in years now? so that we can we, get it? Well, work. even if when we have another World Cup coming up, imagine not qualifying for Qatar. Oh, God. Imagine, I know this is not going to happen, but imagine the women not qualifying for next year. That probably doesn't Ooh, happen. that would be bad. That would be really bad. I know it's. I know they're going that's, to make that's it. That's what I riot. They're absolutely going to make it, but that's like. Well, nothing's guaranteed because. Nothing is guaranteed. 2011, they almost didn't make it to the World Cup. So, which is funny because once they did qualify, they made it to the finals. Yeah. <laughs> so anything's possible. Yeah, it, soccer is a weird sport. I mean, we were a goal away from making the World Cup for 2018. Yeah, but I mean, true. there was a lot. In fact, there was a lot of factors in place that we could have qualified way before then. But we're not going to go in that. We're not no, going to go there. Everything's fine. But I, I <laughs> everything's think great. I think. It would either be a something a shakeup at the national team level. Something would have to happen. Like we not not qualify again. We never call back in. Who? It's time to pass the torch to who? Uh, I don't want to see any more of the Dempsey generation. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, like yeah, we have some interesting memories, but like I, you know, even I mean, Pulisic is awesome, and I, I want to see his future. But like, we got so many young guys. Like, let's just keep. Let's do what Sweden did. Like, Sweden was like, you know what? Thanks for the memories, Zlatan. We don't need you anymore. We're going to develop around you. And they made it to the quarterfinals. Like, yeah, it's it's definitely, as hard it is, as it is, it's it's time to say goodbye to, you know, this crop. So, in those eight years, how do we get a, like, because we host in 2026. In right. those eight years, how do we get to a, quote-unquote, pro-rel type of development even if we don't have pro rail in the united states so that we are prepared for the world cup in this case i think it's just the player development system needs an overhaul i think once we understand what we need to do in terms of player development you know eliminate pay to play allow the clubs to keep some sort of contract over the players that they have Mm -hmm. so that they can sell them later and not to mention in mls as jonathan was saying you know Right now, MLS owns the rights to the players rather than the clubs themselves. Right. If that changed, I think we would see a lot more uh, player development uh, happen in this country. There'd be a lot more revenue for these teams to go out and market and get players to sign and create players that could be sold to European clubs, like in Bayern the long run. and yep. yes, all those play- like that all those teams who who could find themselves playing in Europe playing against a higher level of competition and then coming back to the national team and being able to play in that level of competition. Because the fact that Pulisic wasn't even tied to an MLS team and just went to Dortmund. Yeah, just went to Dortmund. It's insane. He went from never playing to playing at the U15, U17s, U19s, didn't even play in a World Cup, 
and went to Dortmund. Like, you're going through the U.S. Developmental Academy, but you're not tied to a U.S. Developmental team. And we need to make that from insane to not insane. Right. We need to make it so that players like Pulisic can be developed here. Like Weston McKinney. Yeah, and, yeah. and not be forcibly tied to a league, forcibly tied to a college, or any of the... We have to be able to throw away a lot of what we know about American sport to be able to develop uh, soccer players much better in this country. We basically have to become dumb about U.S. soccer to really grow it, I guess. Yeah. And like Dave really just hit my point. I was just going to say give the clubs more autonomy. It's basically what you have to do. Let the clubs do their own thing. Let them exist. I Even mean, if I'm they are pay a close shop. Million, I, if I'm going to pay $150 million, I, I want to be able to say what my club does. But I have to go through ML. I have to go through some in MLS to 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 run my own team. I'd be pissed. Yeah. yeah. If I were if I were these if I were these owners, I'd be like, yeah, let's Fuck get your rid of million. yeah, <laughs> let's get rid of these of this idea that I have to pay you to own my team and then I have to pay you to buy my players and then I have to pay you to sell to pay my you players. For everything. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, no fuck that. And it would require I think a great movement on from on from MLS owners. And US soccer, I think. And US soccer to come together and agree to something like this. Right. And the question is, will they ever do it? I would love to see it. Absolutely. I'm not holding my breath. I want to see Pecky just go drain my bank account. I don't give a shit anymore to these. (laughs) Like, can I get a Pecky of ownership and just be like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to open up our books and I'm going to show you everything wrong with U.S. soccer and with MLS and with some. And I want to fix it. Can I get a Pecky? Just ask Mary Paulson. Oh, there we go. (laughs) True. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're getting there. We're in there. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, KP. Uh, this was episode one of our bonus content for Patreon. Thank you to all of our subscribers. We want to thank Tasty Beverage Co. for allowing us to evade their space for a good hour or so and, and record here. And they were great hosts. I really love Fitz Rochefort. Hashtag kiss the 10. Hashtag kiss the 10. Kiss the 10. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you like what you hear, record everybody else. Uh, every dollar counts. We appreciate all of you. Um, until Tuesday, when we record 6PW, yep. have a good one. Signing off from KP. What's that? From Dave. Peace. And from Jonathan. 66.67%. <laughs> I'm Ebony. You guys have a wonderful Sunday. And come on, you dead wells. Come on, you dead whales. Come on, you courage. <laughs> we won home field advantage. It's another game at Wake Mass Soccer Park. Shaylin Stadium at Wake Mass Park Soccer Park. Trademark. Bye. See you. <laughs>